Hi, welcome to the NCTM podcast. I'm Gwen Trasida from the NCTM communications team. We're recording this in the middle of the summer holidays, which means I've managed to find a window in the diary of Susan Okereke. Hi, Susan. Hello, Gwen. How are you? <laughs> Hi, I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. In the middle good. of the summer holiday, which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, nice time. Susan teaches maths in South London. She's moving to St Mark's School in September as lead practitioner in maths. But that is by no means all she does. She leads CPD work groups for two projects for the South London South East Plus Maths Hub. One of those is the Year 5 to 8 Continuity Project, which supports groups of primary and secondary schools to improve transition from primary school in maths. And the other project is a subject knowledge programme for non-specialists, that is teachers qualified in other subjects who for one reason or another find themselves teaching maths. And on top of that, Susan has a high profile in the maths education world, presenting a podcast with Bobby Siegel, managing her own website and blog, and speaking at national conferences and events. So I feel like we've got something of a maths education celebrity in the studio today. (laughs) (laughs) Although the studio, grand as it sounds, is just our own rooms in our own homes on a Teams call, such as the world of COVID. Um, I've put on a grand background though today. How about you, Susan? (laughs) I'm I'm in my kitchen living room. Very glamorous indeed. Yeah. Thank you for sort of the introduction. That's very kind. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, I heard Susan speak at the MEI conference this summer and I was moved by some of the things she said that she considers when faced with a class of secondary students. So she's kindly agreed to come and talk to us a little more about these today. So before we get into that, Susan, can you give us a bit of background? So like how long have you been teaching and where have you most recently been teaching? I know you're about to move schools, but yeah, just tell us a little bit. So, yeah, I've been teaching for a number of years now. I'm not going to disclose as yet. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I did my teacher training straight out of the university um, and then I but I didn't do my NQT straight away so I took a bit of time out in between to like live so worked with elite kids um, who um, were like not in education or training and I was working this project with uh, for multimedia when I was teaching numeracy and literacy Um, and then I was also ended up teaching radio production because I did it at student radio university and then I um, worked in radio for a while (laughs) while also working (laughs) Um, as I said, working with adults uh, in adult education, teaching numeracy um, there, and that was really opening. And then it was like sort of 12 years ago, I decided to go back into mainstream education and do my NQT year and get back uh, into that and just get a bit of, I suppose security was the key thing, but also just to, to pull together some ideas. Um, and I suppose my the history of the other stuff I've done kind of creeped into my mainstream education teaching because... Um, you know, I think I felt like I needed the stuff I wanted to say. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, so it's been 12 years in mainstream education. I've been working mainly in schools in London, so Greater London and in a city London. Just left a, a lovely school called Holyfield in um, Surbiton, uh, um, Kingston. So that's out of London. But now I'm going to, as I say, St Mark's uh, in South London as a lead practitioner in that. So. Right. Thank you. Thank you. And and, um, you said that your uh, experience teaching numeracy and literacy to adults uh, affects your teaching in the classroom today, did you? A hundred percent. Yeah, I think it was, as I say, I I did my PGCE straight after my undergraduate 
And I think I just and I, you know, I'd been in school, I'd been at university, then I went back into school. And I think I just sort of saw that loop of that's what maths is. And then like having sort of stepped out of of institutions, I guess, and having a bit of free form existence, and then finding myself teaching adults, I suddenly saw that maths goes on into people's adult lives, you know, and and actually a lot of people have had real challenges with it and people like coming back to it as adults you know for so so many reasons whether it be they want to improve their work situation they've got kids and they want to support their kids with their with with their like homework or they've always found it challenging they want to sort of take a step and improve their lives or they've been asked to do it because and and they're scared like it was a really really insightful like I I learned so much by by doing it because it also just opened my eyes to just the idea that maths is for everyone and it's lifelong and you know and it's people coming to the subject and going I wish I knew I needed to do this when I was at school and that's something that I think is a big disconnect with like kids have to do it at school but a lot of them don't engage with the fact that they kind of need it outside um so yeah it just and you know, I had some experiences where I was working with adults who were quite scarred by their experiences of school right. and that you know and they it was quite a big I realized that it wasn't just about come in let's do this stuff and go home for some it was like it was about making a safe space for them to come and want to be but it was a real yeah it's kind of something that will always sort of be with me when I think about school when I'm in a school setting it's like this is far from the end you know year and- 11 isn't the end so with your uh, secondary students now mm-hmm. are you able to impress upon them how much it's a lifelong thing I, I, I try to I, I like I, I really really try to so you know because I have a real interest in foundation level maths you know so I I'm normally given a like a a low attaining set for year 11 that's like been a thing that I've kind of over the last few years and also, I've done quite a lot of work. One of the work groups that you, I, I ran, I've run for a few years, but not the last couple of years um, for Maths Hubs have been the GCSE Reset. Right. So that is like, again, doing that, I'm so glad that I did it. It was a massive reminder of it doesn't end at year 11. And actually, the system's a bit of a mess, to be honest. And quite a lot of kids are not really served properly because they don't get it at year 11. It's only like 22% or something that pass at Reset which is just terrible, really. So, but at the same time, if we were to think differently a bit about how we support these students, if we think about it, year 11 happens, they do exams in the summer, and actually the next set of exams are in November. So like now, one of the things I have, I've got like a low attaining set in year 11. I start the year saying, look, your aim is to pass this, obviously, this is like what we're here for. But you need to be honest with yourselves that when you do the exam in the summer, if you don't think you're going to do it, to pass it to get that grade four there is November there is the following Mm. summer and not to be like you failed because a lot of the time there's if they go into the reset unaware of this situation not like properly aware (laughs) of Mm. what that will be you know they're dealing with a huge knock to their self-esteem public Mm. failure getting their results and not really understanding what needs to happen beyond but if you're like if we're honest with them because you know 30% 30% plus are going to not get a grade four that's the system mm, mm. you know that's that's literally how it's set up so it's like there are some kids who one year would have passed it but 
the different year because the boundaries won't pass it. So we just need to be if you're working with these groups, I think it's important to be honest with them. And not to say that it's not it's more to think of it. It's not a sprint. It's like a kind of a marathon. You like want them to go into the reality of year 11, especially those who've had a bit of a hard time or not, say, taken a variety of reasons. They're in year 11 and they're not maybe where they should be like learning wise or attitude wise or whatever but suddenly this year is a shock to them if you can start the year honestly think and with them about talking to them about what the reality of their options are like what Mm. is the exam going to really look like and feel like it's going to get more stressful through the year but you can do this let's see how we can I can help you but also don't think that the end is the summer if you don't think you've done it or if there's any doubt in your mind don't let go of that keep doing some maths over that summer holiday so that if you don't get in in August November's not far away. Um, I mean I've I've got two kids at home in year 11 this year so and the message they've been getting all year I think has been you have to pass you have to pass you have to pass and I wonder how many year 11s even know that resits are in November yeah um, because that's especially if you're teaching in, in a 11 to 16 school yeah. you know for the teacher that's kind of the end point isn't it so yeah. I wonder how many th- think like that because their their end point is trying to get the kids to pass I think um, as well as just that idea that maths is continuous as well I think you know I, I think for some of the kids that say they don't have to research I think we should be talking about the fact that there are other courses but also mm. loads of different subjects you'll be taking there'll be surprise maths in there and that shouldn't be a problem that should be exciting like you know I just think so many kids I speak to who've had maybe not the best of experiences and whether that be like through tutoring or through like teaching them and they're just like I can't wait for this to be over I never mm. want to do this again and you're like you're 16 that's a shame yeah. because it will definitely come up. <laughs> yeah. It's not gone away. It's, yeah, you know. so that's the thing I've had this year that I've got to pass because then it'll all be over and I won't ever have to do maths again. And thinking, so well, you won't so ever have to do school maths again, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, how much do you think um, there's a problem with the curriculum for secondary maths? How much mm. do you think that, I mean, you must be going into your classes saying this is really important, this is really relevant, you're going to be doing this for the rest of your life. But then when you get out the curriculum and you have to teach, I don't know what I'm thinking of. Um, oh, like uh, foundation students. Yeah, or multiplying out brackets. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. is obviously a really important skill, but always, it, it always, I always found it difficult because I don't think actually it's, it's really important for being able to do algebra at GCSE level and A level but actually what the point of it is is quite yeah there's lots of topics like that isn't it where the actual point is to make you a good enough mathematician to do A level yeah or the actual point is to be able to reason but to actually say yes you're going to go out into the real world and use this there's there's not a great deal of that (laughs) well like I mean it's it's a it's it's a big this is a big conversation and I might be putting the cat amongst the pigeons in this in my chat here because I've you know as I say for many years now I've worked with foundation students and I just don't think the GCSE foundation curriculum is fit for purpose for a majority of those students um, and you know I'm, I do quite a lot of work I've worked with the National Numeracy Charity quite a lot and that's about trying to improve numeracy for adults in the UK and it's a and I think I mentioned quite a few of the statistics in my MEI talk. It's like a sad, we're in a quite a difficult, a sad place regarding numeracy in our country. And that's people being able to use maths 
in their real life being critical thinkers but also just being able to do basic number stuff a lot of people adults can't do that and um and I just think our GCSE maths and the way we kind of are scrabbling for fours and whether that be trying to get the bottom end of the higher or trying to get just scrabbling as many marks as possible for the foundation is it really equipping people for leaving school ready to do math in the real world and I'm going to argue no so my kind of controversially my my thought is I think there should be two maths GCSEs I think there should be a numeracy one that everyone does and it should be like like real well I think it should be a core you know the core maths qualification I've delivered it at level three I think it's brilliant I think and there's Can a part I stop of you there a minute yeah. because um I'm just uh aware that I'd love for every teacher out there to know what core maths is but the reality is they don't yet so core maths okay, for those who don't know especially our new teachers listing in September um core maths is a level three course it sits alongside a levels or whatever else um students are doing at level three it's aimed at students that have passed GCSE but don't necessarily want to do a level and it's very much maths in the real world isn't it mm-hmm. so now Susan's going to talk about <laughs> what she thinks should happen pre-16 Ah. Go on, Susan. <laughs> right, so yeah, as I say, I'll be, I'll be working. Uh, thank you. Um, I'll be working. I've worked with a few groups at sort of year twelve or year thirteen, so sixth form, who who delivering this level three course. As I say, real life mathematics, and I had I've been asked to do it, and I was like, oh, I don't want to. And then like learning about it, and going, oh my god, everyone should do this. And I think, and uh, my opinion is, I think that it should be a level two qualification that a hundred percent of kids do, because because it's the type of you like. You know, it's about saving. It's about um, it's about pay. It's about income. You know, it's about being able to think strategically about things. You're making assumptions. You're trying. You're problem solving. You've got like, you know, activities to sort of do. Actively engaging with Excel, like actually using real life things that just you know, this is setting people up. There's nothing. None of the students say to you, "What's the point of this?" 100%. Everything is delivered is useful and that mm. you know that I think has a jump off for some students is so essential like we want numerate people going into the world so my thing is we do there's a numeracy qualification that is level two that kind of that is like level two core maths and then there is maths GCSE and that is you know higher you know and, and that's to support that's people an option yeah I'd I'd have that as an option I think and again this is me free form thinking (laughs) I talked a little bit about it um and I see this as in a way that like yeah I I think it should be an option but I think it should be a really pushed broader option to be like to remind people that if you want to do geography at at, at degree level or, or take geography a level you want to do a higher GCSE in maths if you're thinking about say doing economics or business studies you do GCSE maths so if you're like you know you want to work you want to be an apprentice or you're like I definitely I I, there's certain things you're like I just want to maybe I just want to be confident in maths in the real world then you do your fund you do your numeracy level two core maths equivalent and then and then you're set for the world and that and, and then as I say, your maths GCSE is an option with a view to more uh, trying to get more people to take it um, because it does open up many doors. But mm. yeah, that's just a, a view I have. I think yeah. <laughs> interesting, <laughs> interesting. Thank you. So, how did you how did you get into this sort of maths influencer role, and, and you know what motivated you to to think that you wanted to do this? 
Well, I think there's quite a few people who are mass inf- influence is the word I find if have an issue to saying, but I guess it's true. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a lot well, of what would you say? I, don't, I suppose, uh, yeah, I suppose, it's mass, I say mass communicators, but I suppose you're right. Okay, there yeah. are different people, there are loads of people, math teachers who are doing extra parts to their teaching within the classroom. Um, and there's a lot, I think there's quite a lot of stuff out there for maths teaching being made better and I suppose like I on some level do cross the whole like teaching how do you make it better there's a CPD I do with the maths hubs and stuff and talk about stuff but I think I'm also I quite like the idea of entertainment. And how much of your motivation for taking on that communicator role is to do with you being a woman of colour and wanting to make sure that women of colour are represented in that in that world? I didn't start I mean I didn't really think of it as a thing I think <laughs> I'm just a bit of a show-off to be fair um, <laughs> uh, and um and I really like I did my master's at the Institute of Education and it was a master's in teaching and it wasn't in math education it was in teaching so there was like people from different subjects and I remember kind of getting quite like like riled up by like the importance of education in in the world and and how like it really can make a difference to people's lives and you know and also it's quite a divisive factor and all the rest of it and then I I mean we sort of did like like part of a unit and some of the the my kind of supervisor was like oh you should sort of try and focus a bit on your subject and I looked into math education and was like oh my god like this is so crucial to like fairness in the world do you know what I mean like it really is a really important subject for empowering people to move forward and better their lives and you know and you know I say this as 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 the the child of immigrants like this being confident in maths is something that I'm really glad of because it has given me power do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and it's opened and it's opened doors that might not have been open to me before um and so I so I didn't think about that when I started to do this I was this was like I've got stuff to say and I should be heard like I feel quite I'm not heard it's, it's like a big head but like I like why not me say some stuff like you know especially where I look around and I think that we don't talk enough about what does maths mean for people who are disadvantaged and I say that because I'm talking about poverty here and I'm not talking about being a woman of colour I'm talking about we should be helping people who need support um and disproportionately they are people of color people with special needs in that bracket but i believe and this is having worked with students from all from all walks of life that like everyone can do maths and that feeling when people get it is wonderful like mm. like i love this subject i love teaching it because yeah it's challenging but if you can support somebody get over the hurdle of finding it difficult and then feeling great and succeeding it's a wonderful thing to witness and i sincerely believe unless there are cognitive issues, like huge cognitive issues, everyone can do it. With a good teacher, good environment, good attitude, it is totally possible. Um, it's like, I just think math really is for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I heard somebody say that it, that is quite different to other subjects as well, because an understanding of math relies less on cultural capital 100%. like you can think about other subjects that you're hugely advantaged if you come from a household that's full of books for example yeah, yeah. whereas with maths if because of its sort of logical nature that that's less the case I think was what I, he was saying I, and I would agree with I think there's so much more scope for inclusivity with regards to STEM 
subjects and then STEM industries. Because as you say, like if your parents never were around you talking about politics, well, why would you know about politics? Do you know what I mean? Um, but if, if, if you, you know, if, if you if you haven't been taken to the theatre, how would you know what the theatre is? But there is an element of with the nuts and bolts of maths, if you are able to see patterns, think methodically, be resilient enough to work through problem solving, collaborate well with people with regards to problem solving, also be able to connect concepts. There is a space for you. Also, let's not forget the fact that STEM industries are flourishing. They need more people. They need more people and, they, and we are not creating, we are not producing enough people to go into these industries. And that's anyone. It doesn't matter whether you're, you know, LGBTQ plus, you know, or you are a person of colour, you're a woman, you're a man, you're anything in between. They need people in STEM. Our society does. Mm. And I think there's just this space that we are not utilising enough, you know, and I think we've and I, and I suppose this is the platform, I guess, it's to share that with maths teachers. And remember, it's not just about getting a grade nine at GCSE. It's about planting the seeds with students that there is a world out there that they, whoever they are, whatever they look like, you know, whatever they aim to be involving maths, there is a space for them. Mm. And that's an important message to hear, I think, because I think when you are at the chalk face with the pressures from the school management, it, it, you can forget about that bigger world that the students are going out into so easily. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about your masters, which you mentioned briefly. Uh, you were talking about the creating the right environmental factors for learning, and I think that's also what you talked a little bit about in your in your conference talk. Yeah. Can you just tell me how that how that will affect the classes that you take on in September so your first lesson mm -hmm. you go in there they're all going to be new students because it's a new school yeah what's that what's that going to look like and what sort of things are you thinking about you've talked a little bit about what you would do with the bottom set year 11 but what yeah. about your other classes so uh, you know it's funny like I've, I think I've already had like one anxiety dream about my first day I know but, it's, but I think it just creeps in and I'm like like I, I get it I think I'm you know preparing myself mentally for just being like ready and taking in a new space and um and I think it's like for me, what I always do with all new classes, whether I've been in the school for a long time or it's new. And so these my new students will experience this on my first days with them is I generally set out a store. I, I sort of give them, a, explain who I am. I, I am, you know, a very much very like a go through expectations. And generally I start with who I am in a general sense of like a math teacher. I really love teaching math. I'm, I am your maths coach. I like to think I was set up as that because I also, so this is just, this is literally my opening mm. <laughs> gambit. Mm. Um, like I'm, a math, I'm your maths coach uh, and I all generally ask them as well, do any of them do any extracurricular activities like sport or anything? And a number of them generally do. And I'm like, do you know, is your coach always like nice to you? <laughs> and a lot of them know that that's, you know, they're like, no, and I'm, why is that? And it's just this idea that I will expect a lot from them because I believe in them. And then it's like, OK, these are the basic expectations regarding school rules. Like, This is how I expect you to be. Like, I'm very much into like you need to try in my classroom and I will keep you safe here. I want us to have a nice time. We are a team. You know, you will, you are going to find things difficult, but that's OK. It is important that you try and I will push you just so you know. Um, 
and my expectations are high and it's generally like the first few weeks it's about making sure that those like key routines are set but also that they know that I care about them you know and, and I and and my expectations are high I will also be quite um consistent with my sanctions and my rewards like just so they understand the ins and outs of how my lessons work but with the view to them knowing that when they come into this room I I'm here for them I'm going to do my best as their math teacher to make this a good learning experience for them but also if somebody is disrupting that they will there are consequences to that as well and then the view is just to like right let's learn some let's have some fun with some maths and that you know it could be obviously there's just content to cover but oh like I'm definitely going to be throwing in applied questions for them to try also I do a thing where we have game time sometimes if they behave well you know like a kind of like collective thing of if, they, if we do really well and cover quite a lot of the content it's less than the last five minutes we can play game time and it, it's about trying to keep the novelty of being in that space and them enjoying it because you know it's like I knew this anyway, because I think in my heart, I was like, if someone enjoys something, they're more likely to pay attention and want to come. And I think and I'm very much like, I want you to come into my classroom and have a nice time. Like This is like, I want to have a nice time. Let's all have a nice time. And, and I appreciate it, but I think it's very important to have boundaries with that. I did this course recently, I mentioned in the MEI talk called uh, The Science of Learning. And it talked about what happens in the brain when we learn stuff. And, um, and it's this like learning starts with engagement and that was something I kind of knew but seeing it written down was really really powerful it's like we as teachers need to switch the students on to the idea of learning but we do it's about activating the reward centers in the brain and so it's things like if they feel they're going to have a nice time in your classroom if they know they're going to laugh in your classroom they can sit by their friend they've got a choice in what they do or they love the subject if they're thinking maths in a positive way, they are then they have an approach response, which means they want to be in your space. And then the brain starts to activate to allow information in. On the flip side, when there's anxiety and fear, there's an avoidance response and the brain starts to shut down because they think they're under threat. So this idea is super important. It's like if a student is anxious or scared, they will not learn from you. And that is something you have to acknowledge because you could have designed the most imp the per amazing lesson or the, 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 you know, flutes and whistles. It's amazing. But if someone is in there and they are anxious, unhappy, whatever, they are not going to take in that information. So it's just like that now really has an impact on how I approach um, my lessons. OK, that's really interesting. But you're picking up kids when they're teenagers or 11 year olds at the youngest. Mm -hmm. So they've presumably already got a, a response to maths. So yeah. when you when you perceive that that child's response to maths is negative mm -hmm. uh, already, how mm -hmm. do you, how would you go about changing that? I think we lead their belief. So if they believe already, they believe they can you're golden, have fun with that. Do you know what I mean? And that's great. Mm. And it's about challenging that and pushing it forward. If they don't, it's our jobs, in my opinion, that, that we need to show them that we believe and then show them that through effort they can achieve. So it's about encouraging them to do. And I think, you know, and that is, and it, 
it would vary for different students. And that's you as a teacher working out what your different students need. And obviously that can be quite challenging, but it's about thinking, you don't do all of your students at once. Like I, if I think about it, I'm gonna get a whole new set of kids that I have to teach uh, in September. On my first meeting, I'll probably be like, oh, I see which ones maybe need a bit more of my time. <laughs> you know, some are like, oh, this is, we're in, this is not too difficult. Others are like, ah, the energy here isn't quite right. I need to work out what I do. And I, gem- and I, this has been a massive shift for me. And this happened like a number of years ago into my sort of training, um, being back in mainstream, where I kind of was like, I realised that if you're having a class, this is my opinion, again, this is something that has helped me out, is if there's a class that say, you're like, this is hard I kind of am not enjoying this they become your focus and your aim is to make them your favorite (laughs) okay make see what you can do to make them your favorite or at least a class that's workable and I will and I would almost guarantee that you do that you will enjoy teaching them really quite quickly and they will love you because if they're challenging for you they're generally going to be challenging for another other teachers and if you put the time and effort to work out how best to nurture and manage that dynamic of students because that's what it is it's a variety of people in a space that you have to kind of control I guess or influence in a way that works works well Mm. you put the time and effort into your worst the payoff, I think, can be really, really, really positive. And you will learn a lot, but it's not easy. Oh, no, it's definitely not easy. But the payoff, I think, is massive. And I'm telling you now, some of the kids who are my heart of hearts, like, you know, I think of and have real, like, fondness for, were some of the kids who I was like, I cannot stand you. <laughs> you know, you are really, really difficult. Uh, but they, like, but then it's like, right, what is it? And a lot of, I'd say most of the time, if not, 100% of the time it isn't about you as a teacher they've got other stuff going on and it's about compassion to acknowledge that and yes they're being annoying in your class at that moment but it's not about that what can you do for your class it might be about sending them out it might be you know it might be about giving them a warning or whatever but it's about trying to work out what's best for the whole group and then that student what can you do to support them engage with you because it might be anxiety fear anger whatever that's stopping them from engaging with learning Mm-hmm. And that does seem to be a bigger thing with maths and other subjects, doesn't it? The whole anxiety response. Well, yeah. Well, that, think about what's going on in society. In, in like, think about what's going on with their parents. In the UK, like three quarters of working adults don't have the numeracy skills of an eleven-year-old, so they are working really, really poorly. And with that, there's a feeling of I am not good enough. Maths is too difficult. I can't do it. And publicly saying that, saying it, I've heard it in parents' evenings. Yeah. Oh, I can't do maths. I send them to a dad. I can't send them to a mum. Oh, none of, no one in our family can do maths. And you're like, what are you saying? She's 11. Like, don't say that. <laughs> but it's this thing that's very freely said. So these are students coming into your classroom and they're hearing this from their parents going, it's OK to be rubbish at this subject. It's totally acceptable in Western culture to say you are rubbish at mathematics. And it's across, it's in the coolest of films, you know, it's in, it's just, it's a throwaway comment. It's a throwaway insult to be a maths teacher. And so we're fighting that subconsciously that it's just there. So it's not easy. It's, I'm not saying it's easy at all, but 
we need to acknowledge it to be able to challenge it we need to be like oh this is our landscape this is what we're working with and we can be the beacon of positivity we can be the element of fun we can be the element of safety we can be the cheerleader for them to say yes you can do it and you can show them that by getting them to do math and them succeeding and actually that's a virtuous cycle the more they do that the more they like it success is a really addictive thing and that's <laughs> what you know look it just is you know like mm. games it's it's this element of of wanting to be involved and engage with something. And if we can showcase that to, to people, then maybe we can channel, change this idea of like it being OK to be rubbish or to say it vocally anyway, because I, I just think it's terrible. But it's also the norm, isn't it? Mm, mm, mm. And what about the child that comes into your classroom who's not in a a state to learn but it's not really to do with maths and it's mm-hmm. it's to do with whatever has gone on at home this morning or whatever mm-hmm. how how would you I mean I suppose that depends on the individual but w- what's your sort of thoughts there it sounds like you've got a very caring classroom uh, I, I try it's work but you know mm-hmm. over time it doesn't it becomes less work because what it is it's a relationship isn't it it's like when your friend comes to you and you're like are you okay and you're like you know that there's something wrong and sometimes it's appropriate to talk about it and sometimes it's it's more like can you manage to be here so it depends on the time and the space and I think get like spending time on the classroom dynamic I think is important spending time getting to know students who are say your key characters whether they're we just uh, they are like over enthusiastic or you know disruptive or disengaged work out what that is because it's because the fact is every student you have has a different has a unique brain it's different a unique mind there are different things going on for them and and sometimes in general we are like an ultra social like population as humans we want to work together so most people know what the structures are and they fall in line when they're not, it's trying to work out what is that and what is the best thing to do. And you might not always know and you might make a mistake. I would say better than ignoring ignoring it, take a moment. So say someone comes into the classroom and they, they obviously you're sensing that there's an issue. Give them a moment outside and have a word with them individually. That's I think can be just such a powerful thing. And the question isn't why are you like, why are you being disruptive? It's like are you okay? <laughs> you know that's the it, is everything all right? Like what you know and, and it's acknowledging even if you have an argument with like an, you have a like a an issue with a student where maybe they've been rude or, or whatever and you shouted at them and you take them outside. I I'm always like I didn't mean I don't want to shout at you. I'm sorry if that startled you, but I needed to get your attention. Do you understand my position? This is what you did. Do you agree? And a lot of the time when you have them outside and there's no audience and it's a one-to-one person-to-person conversation, most kids actually, in my, from my experience, can't guarantee all, and not all, ki- not all kids, I'm just saying in the general sense, you have an interaction with them which is person-to-person. A majority of them are like, oh, actually yeah, sorry, I appreciate that, that that wasn't appropriate behaviour or so-and-so did something. I'm like, oh, I understand that that must have been frustrating, but do you understand my position as a teacher that that this isn't acceptable behaviour? And most of the time they go, yeah, we go, imagine that you were the teacher, what would you do? That just that get them to take and think about what it's like to be on the other side of it and sometimes some students can't manage that because they are emotionally they've gone they've 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 lost the head and they need time out and that's where senior leadership comes on 
comes out there's a, a good behavior policy where you can park a child or something it's just because the key my thing I always go back to is my job is for all the students in my classroom mm. and and I and you know and I really am like I want to advocate for those students who are regularly in classes with kids who are disruptive who are quiet and do the right thing and are constantly punished <laughs> you know and it's like I'm here for you <laughs> you're not making a fuss I'm here for you. I want to teach you math. And if there's an issue with that, my job is to minimise disruption and make the lesson as safe as possible and enjoyable as possible for all the students, especially the quiet ones. <laughs> I owe you. You're great. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. And I regularly, if I tell the class off for being loud, I know I'm telling off five or six of them. I also go, thank you for those of you who've done the right thing. Thank you. I really appreciate this. I understand it must be so annoying for you. I'll make sure that doesn't happen and you start to minimize the issues so it's just this idea of like the greater good my job is for everyone and for people who don't understand that or don't fall in line with that that's a bigger conversation and that is you get you interaction with SLT or the head of year you speak to their parents you obviously speak to them first see if that, that can turn it around but if not it's a bigger conversation and I'm saying likely if that student isn't falling in line once you've had the conversation with them or the head of year, it's a bigger conversation. It's an issue across the school. And that is more than math, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Susan. It, you, <laughs> you've said you've you've touched on so many interesting things today. It's been really fantastic talking to you. Oh, um, and I'm sure our listeners will have got an awful lot from it as well. So I, I wish you the best with your new school and your new classes in September. And yeah. I'm sure our listeners will be able to use plenty of the things you've said with thinking about their own new classes this year I just as well. I want to say as, as well, I just like to put it out there to people listening. I don't have all the answers. And it's like you have like, and I, I talk a lot, I know, but like, um, but it's more about just speak to people in your department that like I just think it's really important to talk to other teachers who maybe taught the classes the year before or a few years before talk to other teachers like maybe if you ask a kid who's being a bit disruptive what's your favorite subject and they go music speak to the music teacher and go what is that about ask them why and then also talk to the kids like I think it's really important to get feedback from them ask them what went well and what was terrible what would make the lessons better and like and it can be anonymous feedback and try and have like <laughs> allow it not to penetrate your personal space objectively what are they saying here is there a problem with behavior is there a problem with the pacing of the lesson is there an issue with the seating is just listen to what they're saying and see what you can change and then it's it's on you like it's technically it's your space it's their space but it's your space that you manage to allow them to be in their space so that's kind of I wanted to make that mm. clear. <laughs> yeah that's that's <laughs> nice is, is there I, I should have asked you actually are there any other things that you that we should have talked about that I haven't thought to ask about uh, no just you know just to kind of encourage the fact that like you know I just maths teachers are great uh, and we do a hard job, but we should look out the way, see what else is there. Take kids on enrichment trips, bring talk speakers into your schools. Try and remember that maths is more than just getting a GCSE grade or even just getting an A-level or even getting an A-level grade. It's bigger than that. It's beyond the classroom. And that's what we should be kind of stimulating or sort of stimulating our students with um and that's kind of our jobs as well as getting to pass exams it's our jobs to inspire them um 
and you know like you know talk to each other communicate with each other and you know have fun if you can <laughs> yeah and I think it's a good time in the year to remember that and also mm. you know we'll have lots of new teachers joining the classrooms this this term so hopefully that will be inspiring for them good luck um, and Thank you for our listeners. Thank you to our listeners as well. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do share it, particularly with any new teachers that you know. And to any new teachers listening, welcome. Don't forget to subscribe to hear all our episodes. Uh, we publish a new one every few weeks. So until next time, goodbye. Mm-hmm.